I think that as an engineering manager, there comes a point after a few years where you need to decide whether you're going to go back to engineering or you're going to climb the ladder. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode in our series about engineering leadership. My name is Rob Osell, filling in still for Tracy Lee. Today, I'm here with Charity Majors, the CTO at Honeycomb. Charity, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We are here at reInvent, so everything's a little mad, but this is why I have this lovely, uh, for those of you on video, I have this lovely suite at the wind behind me. <laughs> yeah, it's very impressive. <laughs> it's very, it's, it's larger than my house in San Francisco. It's a little ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's great. Well, uh, for people that aren't familiar with you, um, you are the CTO at, at Honeycomb. I was wondering if you could kind of introduce mm -hmm. yourself a little bit and explain a little bit about how that came to be, of becoming the CTO. Yeah, totally. Um, so my name is Charity, as you said, um, and uh, I self-identify as an operations engineer still. Um, uh, I have had a career of being an infrastructure engineer, my, my sweet spot has always been, I like to be the first infrastructure engineer that joins a bunch of software engineers at a startup. And as soon as they have real customers, they're like, oops, <laughs> how do we make all this stuff actual instead of just like running off of our laptops? I really enjoy that. Um, I was doing that at Parse uh, several years ago. We got acquired by Facebook. And out of that experience, um, we, my co-founder Christine and I founded Honeycomb. Uh, we we're kind of the first actual observability company for several years there. We were the only observability company. And then around 2020, everybody else decided that they do observability too. So that's cool. Um, I, I am very much an accidental CTO, accidental founder. It was never on my roadmap or my list of things to do with my life. Um, uh, but uh, here I am. I, I started the company and 100% thought we were going to fail. I was just like, well, you know. I've never had a pedigree before. Now, suddenly coming out of Facebook, um, I suddenly have this pedigree. So I felt kind of obligated on behalf of all women, queers, dropouts everywhere to take the money and run. And here we are eight years later, and um, we seem not to be failing anytime soon. So that's good. Well, well that's wonderful. I, I know that we've both been around in tech long enough to remember that there was just sort of this idea that when you were in tech, you were an engineer and then a senior engineer yeah. and an architect and then a manager. And that was just the progression. That was what you had to do to keep developing your skills and keep advancing. Today, yeah. that's not a thing at all, but it's a tough, or that doesn't have to be the case at all, but it's a tough transition to go from being an engineer to being a manager. And obviously, you know, you going through it without necessarily that being the goal, as you said, sort of being yeah. an, a little bit of an accident. I was wondering if you kind of explain a little bit about that process and its ups and downs for you. Yeah, I've been in management a couple of times and it was never, you know, I always, I never know whether to believe people. When I ask them why they get into management, they always say these lovely things like, oh, I just love supporting other people. And, oh, I just love, you know, mentoring and, you know, seeing an impact. And I, I got into management for none of those reasons. I got into management because I was sick and tired of being left out of decisions. Uh, I, I wanted a seat at the table. I wanted a say in what was happening. And evidently, the only way that you did that was you became a manager. Um, of course, after becoming a manager, I realized I hate managers who are managing, who are managing for those reasons because I don't like being told what to do. So the last thing I wanted to do was tell other people what to do, right? Um, I think it's really exciting, actually, that over the last, you know, 
half a decade or so, this emergence of, of staff engineering and principal engineering has, has really kind of um, become something real. You know, there are books now about it. Uh, this parallel path that, that you can, you know, your career can develop without you having to be a manager. But I do think it's super interesting because so many things have changed over the past five or six, seven years. You know, when I, when I wrote, the first piece I ever wrote about management was the engineer-manager pendulum. And I feel like I've spent most of the past seven years arguing managers out of being managers and telling them that they should be engineers because I, I feel like we had so many unhappy managers and so many people who were mm-hmm. didn't really want to be managing, became managers for the wrong reasons, weren't happy. Um, and I spent a lot of time telling them, you can be, ha- you can be an engineer. You can have power. You can have respect. You, could, you can be in the room where decisions are being made. I think all of these true things have become very true. But we're kind of left with the question of why then should anyone be a manager? Yeah, it really is an interesting question, isn't it? Because we're in this era, I think, of just employment and work in general, where people are kind of looking at a set of responsibilities and saying, why would I take that on for, you know, take on that extra responsibility if I'm not getting commensurately rewarded? And we can talk about whether people are or aren't, but there really is this sort of questioning of just taking on responsibility as a sign of achievement by itself. And uh, that might be also contributing to this idea of people looking at being manager and saying, that's a lot of work. <laughs> why would I, why would I of, do that? It's a lot of emotional labor, you know, and I think that the pandemic was kind of a tipping point. You know, plus, I think that just, you know, our expectations of managers have been rising over the years. You know, people used to just complain, oh, my, ba- my boss sucks, you know, but, but it was just kind of expected that they told you what to do. Uh, and, and we've slowly been realizing that, you know, this isn't for, you know, touchy-feely reasons. It's just that that's how bad decisions get made. It's when people who are out of touch with the technology make the decisions, right? Technical decisions need to be owned and driven by technical people. Um, and even organizational decisions, you know, if you don't have buy-in, if you don't have, you know, it, it just doesn't lead to a healthy organization if you just got people bossing people around and, you know, letting, you know, arrogant assholes run rampant. You know, our expectations of our managers are much higher than they used to be, uh, which means it's a much, much harder job. And people beat up on managers a lot more than they used to, quite, quite frankly. So it's interesting. So if that's the case, um, you know, what what is a reason why someone would want to be a manager then? Because I think there are, as you said, some of the things that you went into it for are true and are important. So I guess, you know, there are, I think, things that need to be maybe re-advertised for people on the sales yeah, pitch exactly. for, for kind of being willing to go onto this track. I think that number one, Engineering managers are good ones. Are transform transformative. They companies run, run so much better when they prioritize management, engineering management in particular, and when they make sure people you know are held to high standards. That they're given training. That they're you know I mean a team with a good engineering manager is just you know runs circles around a, a team without one or a team with a bad, bad manager. So it really is an important job. It really matters. It needs to be done and it needs to be done by people who care, right? Not people who are in it just for the power or just just you know as a ladder. Um I also I think that you know you and I were chatting about this a little bit earlier, but I think it's a little bit like parenting in that it's a hard job 
you shouldn't go into it thinking that it's going to be fun all the time. It, it isn't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it does matter. You know, I think a lot of us care about doing things that matter. What is it? Dan Pink says that, you know, research shows that all of us, what we want out of our work is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Right. Mm. And where, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of the features that we write are going to get, you know, deprecated or nobody's going to use them. You, you can't argue that what managers do doesn't matter. Like there's a strong sense of purpose there, even if you don't necessarily get recognized as easily as, you know, it's easy to clap for someone who built a feature or who got, you know, or who like recovered the site when it's down or whatever. But, you know, it's a manager's job to kind of not put the spotlight on themselves. Uh, but if you, you, you do, you know, get this deep intrinsic sense of having done something that matters. And I think your, your impact as an engineering manager can extend way before, far beyond the boundaries of your team. It's not just about the people who report to you. You know, part of the job of engineering management is, is building the social part of the socio-technical systems. You know, if, if you manage to, you know, improve the job ladder or the hiring rubric or the, the interview process or, you know, or, you know, recruit some, you know, historically marginalized groups or, or make the place, uh, the workplace safer for them. Or, you know, the ripple effects of that labor last for generations <laughs> in terms of, in terms of work, you know, people might be getting equitable pay, you know, 20 years from now because you, you fixed something right right here and now i mean it's huge it's a, it's a lot of impact yeah it really is true I, I i'm struggling to 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 put words to the feeling that that i have hearing that because what i what i'm what jumps to mind is this idea that if you worked in a system where you know as an engineer where you're just getting tickets and just a ticket comes in and you don't care it just has a this is what's expected and then you just did that and you did that and that was your career and you enjoyed coding and you were fulfilled. Then all of a sudden you work in an environment where you have autonomy, where you get to help decide yeah. what the features are to work or how to implement them. It's really hard to go back to the yeah. ticket system where you lose yeah. that autonomy. And I think that that's kind of that promise of management to some extent, it's not just autonomy, but it is harder if you, if you're, if you give it time for your brain to kind of upscale to that broader set of more abstract challenges to then let that be a black box again and be content. Like you could, that's that, that pendulum thing. I think that's what swings people back into it is once you go back out of it, it's that's a hard thing to kick after you've really yeah. gotten attuned to it is is losing that being touched, touching everything and then having to kind of be on the outside well, again. That, that is a tough feel. That and for those of us who are kind of like information gluttons, like I do think of managers as being the nervous system of companies because, you know, it, it doesn't scale for every node to talk to every other node. You have to have some sort of routing system. And the engineering manager is like, you're the router, right? You you make sure that people, and, and I think it's really unhealthy when engineering managers use that as currency. Instead, you should be thinking, instead of thinking about who to give what information to. It's like, instead of like what you're giving them, it's like, what do they need? And then you make sure they get it instead of, it, it, sometimes people kind of get that backwards and I think it's really toxic, but, but yeah, being on the inside and being on the outside. But I do think that like the fastest way to coin a, a good staff engineer is often to take a good senior engineer and put them in management for two or three years. Because so much of being a good staff plus manager is that being attuned to the business, being attuned to the, the social, socio-technical systems uh, as well as having that depth in, in the software. 
I don't know. A lot of people are pretty happy to 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 put it down, um, but I think that there's so much value in having engineers who used to be managers on the team. Oh my God, I love having those engineers on my teams because they they have credibility with the other engineers, right? There are things that managers can tell the team, and engineers might go, "What?" But if the engineer who used to be a manager is on the team, they're often to be able to be like the 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 truly sober voice in the room, you know. Like, like one of the hardest parts of management is when you have to tell your team something that they're not going to like, and you can't tell them why, because for ethical reasons, for privacy reasons, for, for some, some reason, you know that if they knew what you knew, they would understand, but you're not allowed to tell them what you know. And those are the moments where you really, really love having ex-managers around. <laughs> This program is presented by This.Labs, the framework agnostic consulting firm helping enterprises realize their technical goals through staff augmentation, consulting, project management, on-demand subject experts, training, and other professional services. Find out more at this.labs.com. Well, you wrote about this uh, recently, or, you know, recently, I guess in the last year or so, about this idea of these different types of managers and their responsibility and how some people, some managers really have this opinion that their role begins and ends with their people. Um, and then yeah. you, you introduce other responsibilities for managers. And one could imagine that there are types of managers who are only focused on those things. But I think this challenge that you're saying of, of having to disappoint people really sometimes comes when a manager does have to put these different goals that they have, that these different things they're maximizing and play them against each other, right? As, as architects, as engineers, yeah. we're so familiar with talking in trade-offs but as managers, they hit so differently because they affect people and the company yeah. in pretty profound ways. Yeah, that's super true. Like, and I think that like for so many of the managers who are kind of like the current generation of new managers, a lot of them got into management because they had bad managers and they were just like, I could do so much better than this. Right. And they have this checklist of things that they're never going to do. <laughs> And they, they don't do those Going back things, to parenting, right? right? There's a lot of parents exactly. that say, like, <laughs> I'm just not going to do what my parents did. Exactly. So true. So true. And and for a lot of new managers, this comes out, you know, they're super empathetic. They leave space for their, their team's feelings. They affirm them. You know, they they support them in taking, you know, paid time off and, and mental health days and all this stuff. But like, that doesn't make you a great manager. <laughs> You know, that alone does not make you a great manager. Uh, so much of your, your responsibility as a manager is not directly to your reports. I mean, yes, it's very important that you're, you know, nurturing them and helping them grow. And sometimes, by the way, nurturing them and helping them grow does not mean feel very nurturing. It feels like you're pushing the baby bird out of the nest. <laughs> you're challenging them. Um, but it also involves, you know, just like your your top responsibility is never to an individual, it's to the team. And sometimes this means be, you have to be hard on the individual. It's also your ultimate responsibility is not to your team. It's to the company. It's to the organization. And, you know, there was this team at Facebook where the manager, um, every, every single time that there was review season, he gave everyone on his team uh, exceeds expectations. Mm -hmm. Just across the board. And... That was a huge problem. People loved being on his team, but it was a huge problem because it wasn't fair to anyone else in the organization. And, you know, I don't know what the ultimate outcome was there. I just I just remember hearing the directors just like talking about what to do. Um, and and I realized that up to that point, you know, I had often been the type of manager who 
really optimized for what was best for my team. You know, I would angle for them to get this promotion or angle for them to get this and that. And, and it was very uncomfortable for me to realize that actually I was part of the problem. It is so difficult. I think when people hear that managers and, and even directors and, and executives hear this, um, you don't want that to have to be true. You don't want to not be able to go to that furthest extent. I know sometimes when I've talked to reports, it's been like, I will give you the highest rating that I can credibly give, um, but you're going to have yeah. to help me make a credible argument for it. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that is, you know, that that's challenging. I, I, but I think like, again, these are skills that engineers aren't learning. So there's that fragile moment yeah. when you make that transition from engineer to manager, when you really feel like, you're just kind of a failure because everything yeah. that you're doing is hard and unnatural for you. Uh, yeah. and, and you have to think about a lot of it. You're in your head a lot. So like, what are, are, are we supporting managers in this phase enough? Is there more that we need to be doing? Or is this just, is this just the natural process of that? Like, is, is this causing people to be afraid of this? Is there something that we should I be mean, doing to make that easier for them? Yes and yes. I think we could definitely be supporting engineering managers more. And yes, it's always going to be super uncomfortable. Um, the reason that I think we should be doing more management training is less, I don't know how much less uncomfortable we can honestly make it for engineering managers. But the reason that I think that companies should do more manager training in general is to have consistency between their managers. So that it doesn't feel like you're working in a completely different company depending on what manager you happen to report to. Um, I, I just think that there's a lot of, there's no wrong answer, but there should be one answer <laughs> when it comes to a lot of organizations. Um, but that's really hard. I actually just finished, I've, I've been working on a leadership lab um, for the past six months at, at Honeycomb and, and it's, it's hard, it needs to be done, but it's, but it's pretty hard. Um, but it is, it is, it is dizzying. And, and I feel like the best way that I've, I've tried to explain it to people is like, you can know all these things in your head about what managers are supposed to do and what, you know, how they're supposed to act and how they're supposed to think. But like, it's like, you have to give your body the chance to learn all these things too, because your, your instincts, your intuition, your, you know, how, you know, at the end of the day, whether or not you did good work that day, like you, you've just spent what five, 10 years as an engineer learning whether or not to trust your judgment or when to trust your judgment. And you're going to have to give it a few years as a manager to, to learn that as well. Um, and, and it's rough, but on the bright side, like in the way that your engineering skills do degrade over time, your language skills, skills in particular do degrade over time. Um, the skills that you learn as a manager don't. Like if you spend two or three years as an engineering manager, you'll take those skills with you throughout your life and, and, and not just at work. Um, you know, if you, if you spend time learning to give people feedback, which really just means like getting better at first being aware of what you're thinking and feeling, and then, you know, articulating it in a way that is helpful to people. That's a skill that most of us need at home too, you know, learning to, you know, find that line between, confrontational and, and just like not speaking up about our feel feelings is like one that very few of us have mastered and having to work on that skill every single day at work um, has the potential to make you a better human. I wonder to your thoughts on, you know, one of the things that I think people do when they first become managers or they don't do rather is like change up their social dynamic. And what I mean by oh that is God. like, they follow the same people on Twitter, which means that as a 
you know, manager from an engineer, they're just reading about the coolest new tech and the people working on the coolest new tech. And they're not necessarily going out and finding other people that are engineering managers like themselves or people that they aspire to become on the leadership side of things. Yeah. And I think that just breeds unhappiness uh, because you're not oh, God, seeing yeah. any reflections of success. Uh, and I'm curious your thoughts on like how people should be looking to to find other support structures <laughs> as they make this transition. If you're an engineering manager, you absolutely owe it to yourself to form not just on Twitter, but you need to make new friends. Like you need a circle of people that you trust. Um, people you can share secrets with like as, a, as an engineer, you could go around and go out for beers and just like talk about tech all night with, with your friends and your colleagues and people across town as a manager, there's a lot of trust involved, you know, things about people, but you can't survive if you have to keep all this stuff to yourself. So you need to be able to like hold other people's secrets and, you know, be able to share yours because I don't think anyone becomes a good manager without people that, this is how we learn. Like there are only really two ways to learn new skills as a manager. The first is to something up, to get it very wrong and suffer the consequences. <laughs> yeah. And the second, <laughs> and the second is through storytelling, hearing other people's stories, telling your stories to other people, processing them together, learning together, like what to take away from an, from a situation and the more stories you could hear of someone else's and how they responded like think through how you would have responded like that's the only real way to get a leg up on just making a ton of mistakes you you need you need a set of friends where i thought you were going when, when you started that out was just like personally when i'm an engineer i'm a social butterfly after hours i'll go out for drinks i'll see my friends i'll do all these things I also read a lot of fiction. And when I'm managing people, I read no fiction. There's too much emotions. I, don't, I can't handle with the emotional state of everyone in, in fictional stories. I only read nonfiction. And I go home and I stare at the wall afterwards. I do not interact with other people because I, I have a certain amount of emotional bandwidth. And either I am investing that at work or I'm investing that in my personal life. And I, I don't have enough for both. That's an interesting take too. That's absolutely right, right? Like you, you, you have to figure out your energy is spent in a different spectrum than it than it was as an engineer, and that could have more profound effects. I've known parents who go back and forth when their children are young, like they stop managing and they go back to engineering, and and then when when their kids grow up a little, then they go back to management. Which you know, one of the things that I think is interesting out of that I hope is coming out of all of these sort of like sloshy changes that are in the air is just. I think that as an engineering manager, there comes a point after a few years where you need to decide whether you're going to go back to engineering or you're going to climb the ladder. Um, it's fine to climb the ladder to get farther away from the tech. We need good people to do that. Um, but I don't really think it's a stable career to just be an engineering manager for like 10, 20, 30, 30 years. Like it, you need a certain amount of credibility. You need a certain amount of being you know, grounded in the tech and, after five, six years, <laughs> you just, you lose it, right? And and you can still manage, but I think that deep down, we know that we're less effective. I, you know, it's such an interesting thought, that idea that like, you know, it's a role that is is meant to be potentially, right? A, a transient, this idea that you you come into it with your ideas and your goal and your initiatives. And, and like you said, you either have to go back into the field 
to 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 glean more things, to be under more managers, to get more information, to experience yeah. more and see more, and then re-enter it with a fresh perspective and, and a fresh idea, or continue that evolution down the path. It's sort of an interesting idea that that this role might be this kind of like way station to uh, you know, different outcomes. I also think that, you know, the opportunities to climb the ladder are rarer than people realize. There there aren't that many it's hard to like line up your your career like unless you're like joining a facebook or a google or someplace that just has like a ladder all the time the opportunities <laughs> yeah. are rare and i feel like if if i was advising someone i would tell them to, to be opportunistic about it to plan to be a manager engineer you know manager staff principal you know whatever but like to go back and forth and just to think of themselves as a technologist rather than as an engineer or a manager um but then opportunistically mm. like I think that if you become a strong technologist over the course of your career, and then if you're in the right place at the right time where you get the opportunity to be a director or a VP or something, go for it. But when I see people like too bent on those, like the, the fact is that like you could be pretty happy as an engineer at a lot of places. Being a manager, you're much more sensitive to the quality of the organization, let's say. Yeah. There are a lot of terrible places to be a manager. There are a lot of places that will just suck the life out of you. And if you're willing to under if you're willing to do whatever it takes to be a director, um, that's often not a very happy path. Yeah, I mean if you if, if part of your role is to represent the organization, a, yeah. a very big part of whether you're going to be successful and happy is who you're carrying that water yeah, for, who you're helping, uh, you know, not just on the mission and what they're accomplishing in the world, but also just, yeah, how, how they act yeah. and how they treat their people. Cause that's going to completely you're gonna, part of that system, you know, uh, whether you want you to represent not, be effective, it. You, you are it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You good leaders, no good leader will separate themselves and be like, well, if the org says this and I, I don't like you can't, <laughs> you can't do that. You know, we've all seen that particular pathology. Yeah, you really want to be at a place that you believe in if you're if you're going to climb the ladder. And every rung of the ladder that you go up, there are an order of magnitude fewer possible jobs. This is why it takes a CEO like sometimes a year or two or three to find their new, next new job. Right? They're scarce, and you become very specific when you are in upper management at a company. The way engineering, you know, skills more or less translate from company to company. Um, the higher, and this actually applies to like architects too and like principal engineers. Very often the higher up you go, the more specific you get and the less of a generalist you are, which is, you know, it is neither good nor bad. It, it just is. And it's something I think people don't really factor in. Yeah, it is hard to help people understand the concept of like local maxima and, and be this yeah. like, yes, you're a principal engineer, but you might need to take a step back to get out of this because you are in a very yeah. specific niche <laughs> with very few yeah. opportunities at that level. So, And feeling trapped in your career is something that um, is not good. <laughs> you know, as an engineer, like maximizing for optionality is I think the best strategy for almost everyone, especially the first half of your career, right? By which I mean the first 25 or 30 years. <laughs> Well, wonderful. That's going to bring us to, to the end of our conversation here. I mean, certainly there's a lot more to say on this topic, but we'll let that uh, maybe go out onto the internet. So for, can you let people know where they can find you online if they want to hear more about what you have to think or interact with you? Yeah, totally. Well, I work at honeycomb.io. We have a great technical blog and sometimes we post um, management content there too. There's, in fact, uh, Emily Nakashima wrote this 
terrific pair of blog posts on becoming a VP of engineering that are like nothing I think I've ever read. Um, there's also my blog at charity.wtf and I am on Twitter at Nipsey Tipsy. Well, wonderful. That's going to be it for us today. Thank you so much to Charity for being our guest today. And thank to thank you to all of you for being here and listening. Hope to see you all next time as we close out. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, This.Labs, who'd like us to remind you that they are trusted by top names like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile. This.Labs helps bridge the gap from business requirements to tech implementation. Whether you're modernizing legacy systems, ensuring sustainable application architecture, or seeking expert guidance, This.Labs has the experience to help. Discover more at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Thanks again to them for letting me do this. And thanks, Charity, for being here today. See you all next time.